Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. A Democratic wave on Tuesday signals that America might not be feeling great again. We discuss the elections, listener feedback, and some fascinating articles on today's episode. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics, and let me just get this off my chest. We're going to talk about the amazing results on Tuesday. Thank you to everybody who's been sending us great feedback and articles we'll talk about later, and for all our supporters on Patreon, we are going to have a lot of extra bonus material coming your way very soon, so get excited. If you'd like to become a supporter, you can go to patreon.com forward slash pantsuitpolitics. Well, we're, fr- we're on Friday now, so everybody knows what happened on Tuesday. And Sarah, you have some thoughts about this. Oh, my God. Okay, so here's the situation. Here's where I was at. I kept reading that, oh, my God, they're so close. 
the I was let me be specific. I'm talking about the Virginia governor's race. That's the race I was most interested in that I think was being seen as the the biggest bellwether. Okay, so I kept seeing their clothes, and since um, I never really polls anymore, I was terrified that if they're close, that they could be wrong. And everybody was saying, you know, we really need to get out there. We're hearing about low turnout, low energy, blah, blah, blah. So I was almost purposely sort of avoiding it because I could not be all in emotionally. Like, I just couldn't. I just couldn't know that there was a race in which a Republican went full Trump with the anti-immigration and the racism and all the things and have us lose like we had in a couple previous special elections, which were in decidedly red states, but just the same. I was just like, I was I was guarding my heart. That's what I was doing. I was guarding my heart. And then I spend all day Tuesday packing up stuff, getting ready to move. Finally, I come home Tuesday night after our city commission meeting, and I start getting the text messages. And I'm just so freaking relieved. I can't. It's less about like even... For me, honestly, like it's not that I don't care about the Democratic Party. Obviously, I really want to see Democratic successes because I really want the Democrats to take the House in 2018 because I think this dude's got to go. But more than that, it was just like I just needed to believe in the better angels of the American voter desperately, desperately bad. The thing about the Virginia governor's race, Ed Gillespie not only – cozied up to the culture wars that President Trump loves to stoke in a way that is hopefully offensive to lots of people. It was also inauthentic. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know anything about Ralph Northam. <laughs> my husband and I were talking about this and Chad was like, I don't care. It's not my state. You know, <laughs> and he, yeah. Chad's totally a federalist, right? Like I, he gets so mad about fundraising emails from out of our state. But my my feeling about this race all along has been, I hope Ed Gillespie loses because Ed Gillespie wasn't being Ed Gillespie in this race. Mm -hmm. And that's wrong. And I hope that it sends a message to other Republicans that it's disgusting to adopt principles that aren't your principles just to get elected. Yeah. It's disgusting to make kind of racism for sale. And that's what was happening I just th- I think it's important for Republicans to take from this. Don't be a Trumpist if you aren't one. Just don't. Yeah. Well, and it was just so encouraging that it wasn't just this governor's race. Well, here before we move on from the governor's race, my friend Rebecca, who lives in Virginia, said that the, what was really interesting is like the number one issue for voters was health care, even though the candidates spent almost no time talking about that, which I thought was very interesting. Um I think that that is going the the mishandling of the healthcare situation by the Republicans in Congress is really going to be harmful to candidates in 2018. Um, I hope that doesn't mean they think, oh, let me just try to shove something else, let me shove something through the budget or tax reform. But who knows? The other thing I thought was really interesting is just the down ballot. I mean, it really was a wave. I mean, I th- of course the the story everyone's talking about, which I thought was so fantastic, was the. Um, state delegate race in which the transgender woman beat the guy who wrote the bathroom bill. I mean, beautiful. Mwah. Poetic justice. I love it so much. More than that, I think she's going to be 
really yeah. good. Like her yeah. comment about how he's a constituent of hers now and she doesn't bash her constituents. That is some savviness right there. Yeah. It's classy. I'm, it. I'm really excited to see what she does. I'm really fascinated. I was listening to the history of transgender candidates, and there was one maybe in New Hampshire that never took office that I want to know what happened, and one, like, she didn't tell anybody until after she got elected um, about her gender identity, So I get, and then never took office. But I'm just, I think that's a really important milestone um, as a country and on that issue that will help um, normalize transgender issues in a big way. I think that's really, really, really fantastic. And then I was also happy to see, um, I can't remember his name right now. I'm totally blanking. The guy whose girlfriend was shot and he made really gun rights like a big issue of his that he won too. I thought that was great. And Montana's governor. I mean, there were there were some groundbreaking races. And I hope it's a good moment to just take stock of things because the exit polls, I never like to talk about races as a referendum on anything, but the exit polling shows that people showed up for these races and showed up in order to send a message to the national conversation. Yeah. We just got a new iTunes review that was like, I listened to this podcast hoping it would be what it says it is, but a conservative never appeared. Okay. If we are going to categorize conservative as the party of Trump, which is what even the New York Times is playing into with the daily episode with where they had Steve Bannon on to discuss the results of the Virginia race. And he was talking about how it is the party of Trump now. Okay. If you're going to do that, you're probably going to have a lot more losses going forward. And I think it's good to take stock of that right now. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, look, did Democrats win or did Republicans lose? And I don't think there's an easy answer to that. I don't, I don't think that using this as a crystal ball is, the best strategy. But I also don't think you can, like you said, I don't think you can ignore the messages that voters were sending. And I think that whether they chose Democrats because they were just the only other option. I mean, I think that the suburban swing voter is not happy with this administration. And that's the primary message they were sending. But I don't think it, there was an enthusiasm that I think would be hard to see if they didn't like any of the candidates. You know what I mean? Like, I think there was some enthusiasm and energy there that was able to channel, that that candidates were able to channel as good, authentic candidates. I think that's right. And I think it's important not to take that away from people. Yeah, totally. Because in these races that are very localized in nature, the person really does matter. And as wonderful as it is to have the first transgender representative in the Virginia House, she also does seem just like a great candidate and let's not take that away from her. Right. Let's not let that get lost in the story. Agreed. Okay. We wanted to also talk about, and I think this is related, this piece from the Atlantic that Eva sent us called conservatism without bigotry. And it talks about how we, the parties in general define bigotry differently conservatives think about intention. And I definitely fall into this category. You're guilty of bigotry if you're trying to harm people because of their race, gender, or the like. And liberals, and I think you fall into this camp, Sarah, are more likely to define it in terms of impact. If your Mm -hmm. actions are disadvantaging an already disadvantaged group, it doesn't matter what your motives are, you're still being a bigot. And this article makes the point that A, liberals need to be less inclined to label everything as bigotry because it really has a backlash effect. And I think we do see that play out. 
And liberals are constantly raising the bar on what constitutes bigotry in a way that conservatives reject and, and close off from. And B, conservatives need to be less willfully ignorant about how policies actually discriminate in the world. And I thought that it was a nice, nuanced take on what we're talking about when we're talking about bigotry. And this has become such a part of our political dialogue that I think it's important to really reflect on this. Well, the first thing I thought of was one of my biggest takeaways from Gretchen Carlson's book, which is that sexual harassment trainings and policies make people think that it's all about your intention instead of the impact. I struggle because I don't know how we, I don't want to close the conversation off. But I wrote a blog blog post one time about how I really purposely try to use the word racism because otherwise it's like you don't have the impact. Like I don't know, I don't know the line to walk between. I want you to understand that what I'm saying is very serious and I don't want you to blow this off as me not taking a joke or people just being sensitive. I want you to understand like this is this is how racism plays out. But I don't want you to shut down because you think you're being called a racist. Because I think we, for better or for worse, we've just decided racist means a member of the Ku Klux Klan, which I think is ridiculous. So, because I think it it, it plays into the, the problem we have, which is not realizing that racism is a system of oppression, not just individual racists. I think it's recognizing that both things matter as an initial step. That both your intention and the impact are important. So in the context of sexual harassment, it does matter that you didn't intend that result. It also matters that that is the result. And you need to take something from that and learn from it. And I think that we can extend that conversation to the political arena. It both matters that you don't intend to be discriminatory in Medicaid policy. It also matters that when you look at the impact of what your policies are doing, there there is a disparate impact. And that's important. And so we don't have to criminalize one another or unnecessarily call people out on something that they don't understand about themselves or about themselves as part of this larger system. We don't have to do that in order to talk about the actual impact. And it does matter what your intentions are. I think that gets lost sometimes in the conversation. It's just giving people a little bit of space and a little bit of benefit of the doubt and a little bit of grace while you're still saying this is important and we have to talk about it. But I also understand the the perspective that we've done too much of that and that's why people think you're only a racist if you're in the Ku Klux Klan. You know what I mean? Like I also think we have to have, you know, I, it's not that I'm opposed to grace, absolutely not, but I just don't know how we make people understand what a big deal this is. You know what I mean? Like I don't, it's just so easy and a concern to make the person comfortable that you lessen the impact of what happened. I don't really want to buy into the idea that we only think you're a racist if you're in the Ku Klux Klan, though, because I think I think that's one end of the spectrum and and some people's experience. And on the other end of the spectrum, I think there is a sense that you are a bigot if and insert a, a long list of things, if you are opposed to affirmative action, if you, you know... I, th- I think we, we have those two ends, and most people fall somewhere in the middle. I think most people can understand 
that there is a difference between racist intention and racist outcome and that we all have to work together to find something that understands that you don't have to have racist intention in order to have racist outcome. But is that true? I mean, isn't the part of the article that most people don't understand that, that most people think or particularly conservatives think that if your intention is good, then you're not being a racist? I think the article is saying that that there is work to do for conservatives. Because we trust our own intentions, we are sometimes willfully, we are often, Mm -hmm. too often, willfully ignorant about what's happening around us. Well, and that's just hard. I don't know how you make people see that. Well, and I think the point is you don't make them see it by calling them out on it as though it is their intention. I mean, I also think there's a breakdown between like, you know, total avenue q which i subscribe to which is everybody's a little bit racist but there are people if you say that to them they look at you like you grew a a second head what do you mean everybody's racist that's ridiculous you know what i mean well maybe some of it is taking some of the sting out of that because there is a big difference between ku klux klan racist and everyone's a little bit racist and i think we'd be healthier If we did understand that we all have biases, that's what a lot of the corporate unconscious bias training tries to do, right? It tells people, you're not a bad human being. Here are some things that your brain does. You need to understand what your brain's doing so you can tell your brain to do better. Well, and I think it's just hard because I think people on the left get worried that if I say... It's, you're not a bad person. Everybody's a little bit racist. That can easily translate to it's not that big of a deal what you said or did. You know what I mean? And I think we probably overcorrect. And in an effort to make sure, like, it's really bad, we got to pay attention to it, we don't um, sort of modulate our reaction to the appropriate level of racism. We're well, all in on every little bit of racism. I think that's I think that's right. I think it's understandable. I don't begrudge that. I'm a weird creature on this because I am hugely sensitive to things like this. So I don't have that double down reaction of, oh, you're calling me racist. No, nothing I've ever said, done or thought is racist. My policies are fine. I don't even have to care about the impact. You are hysterical, right? I don't do that. But lots of people do. And I think that's the point of this article, too. I also wanted to talk about an article that Lisa sent to us from The Atlantic. The Atlantic had run a column about all of the evidence of possible collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. And the point of that article was, how can you not care about this? Wherever you are on the political spectrum, how can you not care about this? And four people wrote in to say, here's how I don't care about it. And so the reporter who had run the initial article took these four supporters' messages, ran them, and responded to them. And I thought that it was so interesting to hear what they had to say. So one of the people just said, basically, but Hillary, right? I don't care about this because it would have been so much worse with Hillary Clinton and always has been with the Democrats. That one, not so interesting Chad, can you just take a minute and find a sound for the – my head – exploding and insert it here. I can't, I can't do it anymore. Not interested in that one. Number two, also not interesting to me, which was the CIA is actually behind all of this. Oh, my only thing I love more than the Bud Hillary people are conspiracy theorists. People three and four get more interesting. Person three just says, 
basically, who cares? Everybody does this kind of opposition research. It's not a crime. And then this person gets really creative and says that the only thing George Papadopoulos has been accused of is lying to the FBI. And that shouldn't be a crime anyway, because it interferes with the First Amendment. That is creative. Also not right, but sure. You get points for creativity. Okay. The last person was a lawyer who wrote a very long and coherent message saying Trump lies all the time, but you can mostly find the truth in what he says, which is better than most politicians. He said that he approaches the things that the president says like he would Yelp reviews. It's Mm. not that he takes literally what every Yelp reviewer says, but on the whole, the picture comes together and he's got it, which I thought was fascinating. Okay, this is what I was trying to We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. Say the other day when I said he often he'll he'll say something and you're like, I understand what the staffer told him and how he took that away from that. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I totally get what this guy's saying because there is often that when he speaks that you think, I'll think a couple things. One, I understand what the staffer was saying and how he misinterpreted it. Two, holy shit, I bet the generals or whoever told him that really didn't hit, want him to say that out loud in public to the press, um, which I think would appeal to a certain segment of the population. I think the problem with this outlook on him is that it is totally dismissive of the complexity of being president. When you are president, you aren't just talking to the American public. And if all that mattered is that you were this big ball-busting truth teller to the voters, say, I don't know, like during the campaign, then yeah, sure, whatever, who cares. But he's talking to so many people. He's talking to Congress. He's talking to the courts. He's talking to, oh, I don't know, the rest of the freaking world and their leaders and their militaries. And he, there's just that approach to, quote, unquote, the truth that he takes in this sort of let it all hang out is so dismissive and arguably dangerous in the face of the complexity of that job. I get what he's trying to say depends on a shared worldview, Mm. right? When I started working in a law firm, I was so annoyed by how precise everyone wanted to be about even casual conversation. And, And I found myself constantly thinking, like, where is our shared sense of, no, I, I get what you're trying to say, even if your precise words didn't articulate that. And what I came to learn is that's the business of being a lawyer, though. Your precise words need to articulate exactly what you mean, because you don't always understand how those words are going to be used later. And you need to think through that from the very beginning. And you have to practice that all the time, because it's really hard to turn that on and off. So you got to just cultivate a lifestyle for yourself where you're being as precise as possible all the time to be a really good lawyer. Now, not everyone is going to agree with that, but that's what I came to internalize as part of the culture of my workplace. And and I value that. And I think that's an important culture to have in the Oval Office. We got this fantastic email from Karen about her experience living in Saudi Arabia. And we'll share Mm -hmm. more of that when we do our primer on Saudi Arabia. But she made the point that there are all these cultural differences, really significant things that don't come to the surface unless someone sort of steps out of the moment and explains them to you. And to your point, Sarah, I think the president can't rely on, well, the North Koreans know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So even if he really believes everything he is saying and is just being imprecise, which I think is an incredibly generous way to look at it, and even if every politician lies all the time, which I do not accept, yeah. it still matters that he start to hone in on more precise language for a variety of reasons. Agreed. After our break, we're going to talk about a couple more really interesting articles, plus some feedback that Carla left on our website about our guns conversation. Mm-hmm. 
Sarah Carla on our website, PantsyPoliticsShow.com, left this comment on our gun control episode from Sutherland Springs, and I thought it was just wonderful. She said, your podcast was some of the most meaningful conversation I've heard on this topic. As a mother of three young kids and having fresh in my mind and body the beauty of being eight months pregnant, being surrounded by one's family, holding little hands, comforting small children, I find I am unable to live life like normal, knowing what kind of horror has befallen this family town in our country. People people often will say, you can't let it get to you. But I'm thinking that letting it get to us is part of the solution. What if we, the public, put it at the top of our agenda and began the movement to stop living life as normal? If a masked man murdering these innocent people isn't enough to make me stop life as normal, then I feel like my numbness is a contribution to the problem of collective indifference. I thought that was so well said. So I was reading in the New York Times last night that there is video of the shooting in this church and that it is very graphic and that this man went around the church and shot these people, including a one-year-old child, execution style. And I thought that we hear the numbers and we see these people's faces, but all we ever see of the tragedies that befall in these mass shootings is the images you saw when my high school happened, which, which is and continues to be people hugging and crying outside the building, which is an incredibly sanitized version of the horror that out, all unfolds inside these buildings. And I thought, I wonder how long, because I think this is going to sound really crazy, but if this happened to me or to one of my children, I think I would put the graphic images out for the public because I don't think we want to accept what actually unfolds inside and that's how we're able to do this we're able to move on because all we see is people crying and hugging and we think how sad and we don't have to face what the first responders face and we don't have to face what the people in these buildings faces and the families you know the one of the mothers from sandy hook wrote a very graphic essay about what was left of her child and how she left an open casket i believe she left an open casket or she went to see that her child who'd been shot in the head her first grader And I just think, you know, this is what happens in America. We finally see graphic images of people being sprayed with protesters being sprayed with fire hoses. Or we watch on TV the coffins coming back from Vietnam. And then we sanitize stuff until we can't sanitize it anymore. And I think that's what's happening here. We don't have to see the gruesome reality of these mass shootings. We just see the people crying and hugging and we think how sad and we move on with our lives. I'm not sure what's real to us at this point. I've been thinking a lot about this. What is real for us? Because our response to tragedy, especially terror, has become this sense of pride in the fact that we just keep going. Mm -hmm. And there is something great about that. There is something wonderful about, you know, we're not going to cower in fear. We're going to keep living our lives. At the same time, I think we've taken that so far that we keep living our lives. And what our lives mean are our jobs, our commutes the daily grind that I don't think we exist for. And if we can't have moments where we do all just stop and process and think about what's happened and think about what we want going forward and what we want to do with it and what it means for us, I think that's a problem. Because let me say again, I don't want to live in a country where a one-year-old is shot execution style in the head in a church. 
And I also don't want anybody to be thought of as weak for needing to reflect on that sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think about this with my car accident. Yes, I have to drive a car now, even though I was in this horrific accident that took someone's life. I still have to drive my car. I don't ever want to not reflect on that as a huge part of my experience because that was the realest thing I've ever been involved in. I think about this with childbirth too. Those are the realest moments I've ever had. And so I want to go back to those sometimes. Now that was a more joyous version of it, but I just think we're so programmed to be you know, I think about the Dave Matthews ants marching idea. I think that's what we're doing. And we just keep marching through these news cycles now. And I think Carla is right that we need to step back and stop everything and say, wait, this is worth hitting pause Mm -hmm. and having a conversation about. We also got an article from Debbie from the Wall Street Journal about a new book called Being There, Why Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three Years Matters. This book was written by a psychoanalyst named Erica Komazar, who identifies herself as, as very liberal. Her experience in writing and sharing this book has been that conservatives love it and liberals hate it to Mm. the point where she's been disinvited from interviews at the last minute because people read the book and hated it. Um, She's been told by producers that they can't have her on because she'll make women feel bad and how dare she do that. And then on the other side of the aisle... People at Fox told her like it was the best thing they've ever read. So it's been a bizarre experience for her. And I thought I would share this expert, just this excerpt of the Wall Street Journal article, just to give you a sense of what the book is about. The premise of Ms. Komisar's book, backed by research in psychology, neuroscience, and epigenetics, is that mothers are biologically necessary for babies, and not only for the obvious reasons of pregnancy and birth. Babies are much more neurologically fragile than we've ever understood, Ms. Komisar says. She cites the view of one neuroscientist, Nim Tottenham of Columbia University, that babies are born without a central nervous system, and mothers are the central nervous system to babies, especially for the first nine months after birth. What does that mean? Every time a mother comforts a baby in distress, she's actually regulating that baby's emotions from the outside in. After three years, the baby internalizes that ability to regulate their emotions, but not until then. For that reason, mothers need to be there as much as possible, both physically and emotionally, for the children in the first thousand days. And her recommendation, as as she goes forward in her book, is the ideal thing is for mothers to be at home with children for the first three years. The next best thing is a permanent, singular caregiver. She really has problems with daycare because of this information. And... Her solution is that we need public policy that is much more supportive of families during that time. Um, I agree. I think that we do need public policy. And I think so for so long, this conversation has resolved around women need to fight this out instead of women turning to our culture and our society and being like, you know what? We don't want to fight it out amongst ourselves. Everybody's invested in these good outcomes. Everybody's invested in women not feeling like they have to choose and make difficult choices, entire families having to make difficult choices. So why don't you help us and give us the actual support we need? Because I think I realized like a long time ago, I forgot what I was reading. It was about maybe France and the support they have. And I just thought, oh, other places in the world, 
they don't feel like they have to decide if they want to be with their kids or if they want to be with a job that they love and a career that they love that supports them personally because they have the ability to be the kind of mother they want to be, particularly if they want to stay home in the very beginning and then go back to work. It's like, why do we, we fight like this is the only way to do this when other places do it completely different. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Here's the other thing. I think in terms of 
the idea that this is offensive, that's really silly. Mm -hmm. But I think that happens because we do this with lots of issues, but especially with motherhood. We read this article like it says... Beth Silver's babies are much more neurologically fragile than she understands. (laughs) And she has clearly made selfish decisions by not being with them for three years. And her friend Sarah, who decided to stay home, is obviously superior in every way. So ridiculous. We take this to such a personal level because motherhood is personal. Mm -hmm. And because we get all kinds of messages that tell us we're not doing it right, we're not enough. It's we can accept this research for what it is and still say, okay, here's the ideal. Now, what decisions do I want to make based off of that? We know the ideal for all kinds of things. We know the ideal for our diets, but we don't live up to it. We know the ideal for exercise and sleep and care of our planet. Like we have lots of information that we freely disregard all the time. But something about motherhood makes it feel like you are really an inferior human if you don't take the gospel from every single book. And I don't I don't think her intention was to say that. Well, and let's just zoom out just a little bit. Okay. If you, as a mother, are wholly and completely happy with our policy, culture, even emotional treatment of motherhood in 2017, then cool. I'm not. I don't think most people are. I think most mothers are unhappy with a lot of sort of cultural messages we get, policy set by employers, policy set by the government. I think that's just a safe, acceptable idea that we think we can do better. And if that is true, that we think we can do better by mothers, then we're going to have a conversa- have to have a conversation about why some paths are not the best we can do as a society. And chances are you might find yourself on some of those paths. Okay, that doesn't mean you're a bad mother. It means we're trying to have a conversation about how we could do better by if you have daughters when they're mothers or when you have if you have sons when they're fathers. We're not saying you're bad, but listen, y'all, if we want to do better, we're going to have to have conversations about why some of us took paths that were not the best available options to us. That's just, that's the reality of the conversation. It's like, you know, I... We'll have conversations with women about birth, and you talk about the C-section rate, which is too high. We all know it's too high. And the immediate response is, well, I needed mine. Okay, cool, fine, maybe you did. But the reality of a C-section too high is that some people got C-sections they did not need. Somebody did. So, you know, it's just you can't – we can't have a conversation about how to get better and how to do better by mothers without assessing some situations that are – less than perfect okay that's that's okay it's okay like we'll all survive it we all love our kids we all want to do best by our kids let's just accept that and say like but you know what I got put in this crappy situation and I wish it could have been different and that that doesn't make you a bad mom well that's right all of that information and those conversations are not personal indictments or gold stars and I think that's what we have to get comfortable with I can look at this research and say, I just learned something that I didn't know. It makes perfect sense to me. That idea of being the nervous system for your child, I really get that. Mm-hmm. My two-year-old right now, whenever she starts to have a fit, if I pick her up and hold her physically very close to me, she calms down almost yeah. instantly. Yeah. And that is not – there is nothing about that that was, like, a good idea on my part. That's just biology, right? Yeah. That's her physical connection to my body. doesn't matter what I say. 
And that happens for me in a different way than it does with her father. It just does. And that doesn't mean anything good or bad about either one of us. And so I think taking all that information in, now, having all that information doesn't mean that I go, okay, Chad, I got this for three years. Mm-hmm. That's not what it means either. So I guess the point that I wanted to, to draw out of this article is let's do have some big picture conversations and let's just allow ourselves room to be in those conversations without feeling so personally attached to them. We and I were talking about how 30 years from now, there, there are going to be new studies and new psychology telling us that lots of things that we think are really important for our kids today were wrong. And we're just going to have to look at our kids just like our mothers look at us and say, I did the best I can with what I knew. (laughs) I'll let you sleep on your stomach when you're a baby, but you guys survived. Somehow you made it. (laughs) I agree. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Fancy Politics. We will be back with you for a longer discussion on Tuesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you so much to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, Leslie, Sabrina, and George. You can join us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Pantsuit Politics and on Twitter at Pantsuit Politic, no S. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com or reviews are always helpful and you can leave one through the Apple Podcast app. Thank you to Dante Lima, the composer of our Pantsuit Politics theme music. 